welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And we are reaching nearly the end of the Clone Wars Season 6. Today we're doing a one-shot. It's Season 6, Episode 10, The Lost One. We can't find him. We don't know where he is. Lost. Where did he go? It's like my keys. <laughs> and my wallet. <laughs> Fortune cookie, what is lost is often found. It is a good old-fashioned, wide-bore, general fortune cookie. <laughs> I'm here for it. So last week, Sam, we ended the arc with Jar Jar and the love of his life, Queen Julia, rocketing off into the sunset on space camels. Mm -hmm. So this episode has a lot to live up to. <laughs> I don't know how you get any better than that. This episode is back to the plot, which is that a long-awaited truth has been found. There's a distress signal on some dust storm planet. Plo Koon goes to investigate, finds a crashed Jedi ship, and in it is Sifo Dyas's lightsaber. Yeah, so we open with Plo Koon's wolf pack fighting through the swirling dust storm on this abandoned moon. And the wolf pack has just the coolest armor. They have the wolf logo on it. It's approaching the end of the war. It's a beautiful scene. It's really just this whole episode is beautifully animated. They find the ship... But something fishy is going on when Plo Koon calls back to Coruscant to tell the Jedi Council what he has found, they realize that they don't actually know a lot about the last days of sifo life, so they go to Jocasta New in the archives for some more deets mm -hmm. on sifo Dias, you might call them the sifo <laughs> and Jocasta New tells them everything that she knows, but the office of the Supreme Chancellor has sealed the records on his death. And importantly, he died apparently on Felucia, not this nameless moon over Obadia. Right. So Yoda sends Kenobi and Anakin to do some good old-fashioned Jedi investigation work. At first, all they find out from the Felucians is that sifo was not alone when he was killed. They say there was another Jedi with him, to mm -hmm. which everyone in the vicinity says, WTF. <laughs> Meanwhile, Yoda goes to question Palpatine on why the records have been sealed, but Palpatine points him to Chancellor Valorum, who is the other old white guy in charge of the Galactic Senate 10 years ago. Because Palpatine's like, I'm sure I don't know anything about that. That's before my time. And because patriarchy. So <laughs> we, I mean, we just get an entire rundown on the plot of the Phantom Menace from Valorum. But Valorum does tell Yoda that he secretly commissioned sifo to put down the Pike Syndicate, but sifo never completed the mission because in the middle of that work, the Jedi Council emergency ordered him to Felucia. Mm -hmm. And Valorum tells Yoda that his aide, Silman, went with sifo on the Pike mission, got diverted to Felucia, then they both disappeared. Mm -hmm. It is a seven-layer onion dip of mysteries. <laughs> it is a lot of mysteries. Yoda sends Kenobi and Anakin to the Pike planet Obadiah. Mm -hmm. They get to the Pike Palace. It is got sexy, murky Jabba's Palace vibes. Conveniently, the Pike leader, whose name is Minister Lam, is wearing Silman's necklace with the special insignia showing that he worked for the Chancellor. 
And so Obi-Wan and Anakin can yeet the truth out of him using their Jedi ways. And the Pikes reveal that they've kept Silman alive as insurance this whole time. Yeah, so Minister Lom tells them everything. Darth Tyrannus paid the Pikes to take out Sifo-Dyas, but when they shot his ship down, Silman survived, and they have kept him in this dark prison for 10 years. And then Lom takes them to the cell where they talk to Silman, he is cuckoo banana pants. He gets food from them. Like a ration bar. And is going to feed it to his bug buddies. His bug babies. Yeah. They're his babies. They are starting to get a little bit of exposition out of him. But just then, Dooku, in his Darth Tyrannus cloak, lands on Obadiah. Palps sent him to thwart the Jedi, as one does. He comes to Silman's cell, he force chokes him to death, and then we get an absolutely gorgeous lightsaber duel. It is one of the best, but importantly, there's a very funny line. Anakin turns around and says, Dooku, for once you came to do your own dirty work, when in reality, <laughs> Dooku had been sent by Palpatine, because Palpatine <laughs> force choked Dooku from across the galaxy and said... Yoda was in my office. He said, you're a clumsy baby. Yeah. And I hate you. (laughs) Go do your homework. This isn't the first time you've been clumsy. Oh my God. The secondhand embarrassment. Brutal. But it is a great lightsaber duel. Dooku has one hand tucked behind his back. He is gracefully holding Kenobi and Anakin at bay. He's not even breaking a sweat. It is very beautiful. And then the pikes all rush out and reveal Dooku to be... Darth Tyrannus! Mm -hmm. We get a Dooku name! And Kenobi's like, you're Darth Tyrannus? And Dooku's like, I literally told you all of this two years ago. He is hashtag unfazed, (laughs) hashtag unbothered, hashtag keep up Kenobi. But he's also like, yep, I have resolved this situation. So he fights himself to the edge of this bottomless pit and just calmly jumps off. Steps off the edge backwards, rises up into the air on a random ship. It is BD energy. And then Obi-Wan says to Anakin, I'll give you a push. And he yeets Anakin through the air. Hundreds and hundreds of feet. Onto the ship. I am crying. It is so great. And then the duel continues in midair. But tragically, after all that, Dooku gets away. Dooku just fights back Anakin easily, slashes the ship. He's already called his ship, so he jumps off this ship and just like, later losers and leaves. Presumably leaving a succession crisis behind him in Pikeland. And then we get back to Coruscant and we see the Jedi Council at an honest-to-God crossroads. Mm -hmm. Just an absolute quiet crisis. Because now they know and have evidence that Dooku created the clones. Yes. I want to talk about this conversation in depth. So suffice to say, it boils down to our enemy created an army for us, and we can't tell the public, and we just have to keep marching onwards. Mm -hmm. And that is the episode. What do you want to talk about? 
Uh, I have a little bit of something out of left field. Oh so my God, amazing. I'm so ready. Lay okay. it on me. So I've been listening to another Russia podcast, which is really interesting. It's put on by uh, Ben Rhodes, former deputy national director of intelligence or something. And then his co-host is the daughter of an assassinated former prime minister of Russia. Oh, wow. And so the plot is sort of how did Russia become autocratic again after the 1986 through 1989 Russian Revolution, which put Yeltsin in power and Mm -hmm. was the downfall of the Soviet Union with the rise of these oligarchs. And what it all started out with was the Chernobyl cover-up. The Chernobyl cover-up. Yep. Because something that was so bad and so fearful that they had to cover it up eventually, pretty rapidly, led to the downfall of the Soviet Union. Like within three years, the Soviet Union had fallen apart. And a lot of people point to Chernobyl being the turning point for that because it was this bad cover-up. So that was my line of investigation for this because this is fundamentally a cover-up. And it's really remarkable. This is finally like maybe Yoda and uh, someone we haven't seen ever, uh, Jedi Master Opo Rancisis. Who is, is he the one who looks kind of like the the dogs with the really ropey? Except he's got a snake body. Yeah, yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah, he has some lines in the 2003 Clone Wars movie, but no speaking lines in any of the later works. A very interesting character. Hundreds of years old. Wow. But- All of these characters have this like now shared thing, this shared cover up that they're part of. So can we dissect that big final conversation so we can talk about the cover up? Okay. Yoda says, now we know that Dooku was guiding the clone army's creation from the start. Our enemy created an army for us. Mm -hmm. We can't tell the public because the fallout would be absolutely in just outrageous. Everyone would lose faith in the Jedi, in the Republic, in the clones, in the army. We have to cover this up. We have to trust in the clones. And we have to win the war quickly before our enemy's designs come to fruition against us. Mm -hmm. And I think this is even the more important bit. Mace Windu says, are you sure this is the right path? And Yoda says, the right path? Absolutely not. The only path? Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. This web was created by the Dark Lord of the Sith, and for now, we have to play his game. Yeah. Wow. I'm translating from Yodaese, obviously. You got it, except that for the absolutelys, that was word for word, (laughs) because I have the notes here too. It's a really interesting resolution to this whole thing. And it calls back to, in episode two... How if Obi-Wan had been able to put the pieces together even a little bit more, he would have he would have been able to blow it wide open. It's a pretty I I don't know, like do these guys they must have just been kept so busy for the last two years that they can't like compare notes over like coffee, be like, who's this Tyrannus character? Anyone hear about Tyrannus or anything like that? There's so much of that in this episode, and I think we get a lot of it. Because this is a weird Clone Wars episode in that so much of the action in the first half happens off screen. Yes. And it's very dialogue heavy. It is super dense. And it's just heavy on complications and mysteries and these very 
intricate back and forths between characters, right? They needed a lot of setup to get Kenobi and Anakin to Obadiah Mm -hmm. and show how difficult it was to unravel all of these mysteries. And so we got a lot of opportunities to hear the disconnect between the members of the Jedi Council. Mm -hmm. And so at first I was totally enraged by everything happening in the Jedi Council room because this is the information that they needed to validate Fives's entire investigation. Yeah. Now they know that something fishy is going on with the clones and they just have to cast back to a couple weeks ago when someone was trying to tell them that something fishy was going on with the clones. And I was like, I can't believe they didn't mention Fives. I can't believe they didn't say his name. I can't believe they didn't put the pieces together. But then, Sam, Mm -hmm. I went back to the Fives arc and I realized Anakin and Rex were the only ones who heard the entire confession. And Anakin isn't on the Jedi Council. Yep. They don't have the right people in the room to put the pieces together. Which is so funny in the light of the famous foreshadowing of episode three where Anakin isn't on the council and that makes him, you know, that pisses him off. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. I realized that I didn't, I mean, I could still be enraged about this, but Mm -hmm. really they didn't have the right people talking to each other. This is a grand miscommunication. And as I'm thinking here, you know, this is the kind of big mystery that, peacetime Jedi would be able to solve Mm. because they would meditate together. They'd be looking for ripples in the force. They'd see it. They'd communicate it to each other. But during wartime, they're all busy. They're all exhausted from fighting all day. And then they like, there's a war on. So any ripples in a raging stream are invisible. Half of them are holocroning in from whatever battlefront Mm -hmm. they're on. Yeah. They are busy. They are exhausted. Do we ever see the Jedi in peacetimes? I mean, not in any of the works, like the the main canon works. Definitely in the High Republic era, that's mm-hmm. a peacetime. But it does the, that era does start off with the Great Hyperspace Crisis, mm. which is a quasi war. But people talk about how like it's not really a war; it's kind of an anti terrorist action. Mm. But Not really. Because what I'm thinking about is the disappeared arc that we just finished Mm -hmm. with Jar Jar and Queen Julia and this incredibly cool line of ancient Force-sensitive mystics. What we get from this Force-sensitive people is that all of their leaders are engaged in a very meditative lifestyle. Yeah. They do Tai Chi. They meditate. They look for ripples in the Force. And Mm -hmm. I think... It is such a maybe unintentional but interesting contrast that we're now flashing over to the Jedi Council and we're not seeing them do any of that. Yeah, I'm reminded of something I heard on the radio the other day on NPR of uh, Dr. Fauci, famously of the AIDS crisis and the coronavirus crisis, um, you know, resigning and or eventually retiring. Moving and, on to the next chapter in yeah. his journey. Well, he's been in, you know, leading these things for more than my entire lifetime. So no shame. But uh, the people were criticizing him for being not the best communicator. And I'm, I was thinking to myself, someone who is a great leader and a great scientist 
in the field or the, you know, a, a great technical mind in their field and like a great communicator, great leader, all this stuff. That's really tough. That is so many different kinds of expertise. It is. And the Jedi have a similar problem of none of them are warriors, but that's the role they've been pushed into. Mm. And so you and I have talked at length about how the Jedi have bad PR. God, they have they terrible have, PR. Mm-hmm, because they don't have any way of resolving this situation either. Because something we've seen is that the Jedi are being pulled out of leadership in the war, in the uh, Ahsoka leaving the temple arc, the temple bombing arc, they're saying Jedi are being pulled out of military positions. And so the Jedi would be saying, oh, yes, this is great. We're not part of the military. But if anything, the Jedi need to be moving the clones out of the military. Right, because... Now we know, by the end of this episode, we know that the Jedi are aware that something is deeply wrong with the clones, and they feel powerless to stop it. And none of the Jedi really seem like the kind of people who would put together enough paperwork to let an intelligence analyst run a war, because each one's functionally... Gosh, they're like a an old west peacekeeper, right? They go around, they draw their weapon as little as possible, mm-hmm. and they dispense honorable justice. And when you lead an army with people like that, they don't have an intelligence apparatus. They don't have an artillery wing. You know, they don't have anything like that. They're really out of place and out of time right here. And out of depth. Yeah. And they know it. And... Yoda is having to really fling his weight around because when Mace Windu publicly disagrees with you like that. Even in that very soft way, are you sure that this is the right path? Mm -hmm. And Yoda has to admit, I'm sure that this is not the right path. I'm just also sure that this is the only way. Yeah. Which may or may not be true. Yeah. Well, Yoda is famous for his prescience, but still... Got through curveballs, you know? It's tempo as well. In uh, Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Mushashi, one of the things is it's a manual for killing people, so it (laughs) seems relevant. Uh, One of the most important things is tempo, which is to say you need to have the timing. This is Tara Sanube's advice. Exactly. You need to either be first or be second as you desire. You need to be the one who chooses that. And Yoda is relying on the Dark Lord of the Sith to be outsped by Yoda. Mm. And when you've set yourself up in a situation where you're relying on your opponent to make a mistake, you've lost. Ooh, that's a good insight. ton of other stuff I want to talk about too, which always surprises me with these one shots Mm -hmm. because I always go in thinking at the end of the episode, oh my gosh, what are we going to talk about? And then I think about it and I realize I have so much that I want to talk about. Where do you want to start? I want to start with Sifo Diaz. Interesting character. Interesting character. Uh, Got a really raw deal. 
Yeah, so he was expelled from the Jedi Council, right? They threw him out of the Jedi Council because they thought his ideas were too extreme. Then they don't care enough to investigate his death. They wait 10 years, no funeral, no nothing. Yeah. And then they end up taking his war strategy that they said was too extreme and running with it for an entire war operation. Yeah. Like what gives? There's um, in the particular the history of the interwar era between World War One and World War Two, a lot of people who like put something really sturdy together. I'm reminded of uh, the name escapes me because it's a very upper class British name. And this person. Hugh uh, Bottom Feather Pensy. Oh, yeah. Something like that. And they designed the way that eventually won the Battle of Britain, which was the air battle over England in World War II. Hmm. And it relied on just a huge logistical chain. And this person said, we have to be able to like meet the Nazis in the air mm. where they're going to be. Air superiority. Yeah. And later on was shepherded out, possibly for political reasons or possibly for stepping on too many toes, and then later on was complete their image was completely rehabilitated because it's like, yeah, they were completely right. Wow. Yeah. I love when history redeems the people who are on the right side all along. Mm-hmm. It's just also very frustrating to see it happening in real time. And I feel like there was a lot of confusion on my part as the new viewer. I've never seen any of this material before. Mm-hmm. The last time I heard about Sifo Diaz was a year and a half ago when we watched Attack of the Clones. And there was a lot of confusion for me about what his relationship with Dooku actually was. Yes. So can we walk through that? Well, we don't know Jack. Really? Think about it. Here's what's happened. The the, the line of events. Uh, Kenobi somehow goes to Camp Camino. And he's like, here's your clone army. Jedi Master sifo got it. Uh, Obi-Wan calls the council. It's like, sifo Like, I think I saw him once when I was six. And Yoda and Mace are like, yeah, we kicked him out of the council a long time ago. And he's been missing ever since then. What actually happened was he had gotten seconded to Chancellor Valorum's service to solve this issue with the Pikes. Tyrannus, Dooku, working for Palpatine, which is interesting timing-wise because that means that Dooku would have started working for Palpatine almost as soon as Maul died. Oh, interesting. Maul, okay, so he'd been yeah. in he'd been in Dooku service for a couple of years at that point. Yeah. And so then Dooku kills or pays the pikes to kill Sifo-Dyas, which like Keeps his hands clean. That's the way Dooku operates. He's very hands-off. But how did Dooku, or why did Dooku, want to kill sifo at all? Yeah, isn't that the question? So I think what he wanted to do was, perhaps he was still a Jedi at the time. Perhaps he was simultaneously a Jedi and, he was Jedi Dooku and Darth Tyrannus at the time. Oh, double agent. And he... Kills Sifo-Dyas, who has somehow paid for a clone army, goes back to Kamino and says, by the way, also Order 66 needs to be implanted. 
Right, because what I was thinking was that conversation that he has with Anakin and Kenobi during the lightsaber duel. Mm-hmm. Dooku says something really mysterious. He says, Sifo Dias understood he agreed with me. Yeah. Is he just trying to confuse and muddle his enemies? Or was there actually something going on between Dooku and Sifo Dias? Or did he just need to steal Sifo Dias's identity to go talk to the Kaminoans and say, Sifo Dias, you know, entrusted me with knowledge about this mission, and I'm going to be taking it over. All of those are really interesting points, and I don't know the answer. Yeah, it's very—it's the seven-layer onion dip of mystery. So that lightsaber fight is the absolute coolest. I want to talk that about that. lightsaber duel is incredible. It's almost like they're fighting in low gravity. The way that they're flipping around... Mm-hmm. I just think Dooku's one hand tucked behind his back rapier mm-hmm. saber style is the coolest. So funnily enough, like Dooku walks in, chokes, finishes choking out Selman, who is like, and the betrayer was, and then dies, of course. <laughs> Devastating. Uh, and then we get that line, Dooku, you finally come to, you know, solve things with your own hand. And in a way that it reminds me of those MasterCard commercials, Dooku says, some things are just that important. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Every kiss begins with K. <laughs> so they start fighting, and Dooku attacks Anakin because Obi-Wan is the master of defense and Anakin is the master of offense. Yeah. And so Dooku is flipping. He ends up flinging Obi-Wan off the edge because apparently... One door outside of Silman's cell is a bottomless cliff zone. <laughs> very convenient. Very, very convenient. dynamic. And uh, Obi-Wan has to pull himself back on. Dooku uh, is, you know, surrounded by pikes. Lompike is ready to kill Tyrannus. He starts firing. And in something that we haven't seen since the 2003 Clone Wars, both Anakin and Obi-Wan force push simultaneously. And there is a time delay. So in the 2003 Clone Wars, it's it's very cool to watch as like someone will do the force motion. I'm doing like a force push right now. <laughs> and then it's as if you can see that they're oh, moving like the, something. Oh, like the air pushing across. Yeah, it the... goes it goes 100 miles an hour, but it wha-bang, it hits Interesting. something. And, but all throughout the Clone Wars, it's been instantaneous. Mm-hmm. But we see in this episode, Dooku dodges their push. Oh, I was a little confused what was happening in that moment. I thought maybe they were trying to push the pike guards out of the way of Dooku no. or flatten everybody in their path. I think they're trying to flatten everyone, but they Dooku dodges, comes up behind Lompike, stabs him, just gives him the, the, right through the, the stomach. special, and then jumps off the cliff and flies away. Well, the rooftop. Yeah, whichever. And then as Anakin gets thrown on there, there's a very cool lens flare because they're in the backwash of a spaceship jet and everything's blown out. The color is all super saturated. Mm. And then that fight continues. It's such a beautiful fight. And what I've noticed about these later seasons has been a significant economy of action. Ooh! So the season one lightsaber fights are long and flourishy and drawn out Uh and like the longer we go the shorter 
the lightsaber fights get. Oh. And I think that that's really important for lending import to them to make them seem more impactful. And the thing is that I remember these more, these later lightsaber battles a lot better than the early ones. Yeah. Remember in the Clone Wars movie when Obi-Wan and Asajj are fighting and it's like this long, drawn-out thing. God, they thing. cut back and forth to that lightsaber duel three times. Yeah, yeah. It lasted multiple scenes. You know, they're, they're taking a smoke break in between cuts. <laughs> and this one is bing, bing, boom. And it felt like a long lightsaber fight because it starts in one room, it moves to a second room, and then it happens on, on the starship. So it was a really quick fight. But once again, similar to the previous couple arcs, this has been a wonderful example of pacing Mm -hmm. and this one gets all the acts that all of the denouement all of the exposition that it needs to get in one tiny little form factor Mm -hmm. pretty impressive it is impressive this is so interesting i actually love the lightsaber scene for different reasons oh yeah i loved it as much but i loved it for different reasons i wrote down tell me why i'm crying about obi-wan yeeting anakin Onto the cargo ship to fight Dooku. it's teamwork. It's teamwork makes the dream work. Mm-hmm. Okay, first I thought, this is hilarious. Uh-huh. Like, you jump, I'll push, and I'm going to just yeet you over to Dooku. And then I rewound because I thought the lightsaber duel was so good that I wanted to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed is that in the moments that Anakin and Obi-Wan are fighting Dooku... They're silently communicating with each other. They've got this little language of glances and nods, and they are communicating how they're going to fight this battle with each other. And in that moment, as Dooku is rising above them smugly on this random cargo freighter, Obi-Wan looks at Anakin, and he decides in that split second that he should be the one who pushes And Anakin should be pushed. Obi-Wan should be the cannon. Mm -hmm. And Anakin should be the cannonball. (laughs) And you know what I love is that a long time ago, I saw someone tweet a quote from the Revenge of the Sith novelization. Yeah. And it said, after thousands of hours lightsaber sparring, they, Anakin and Obi-Wan, knew each other better than brothers, more intimately than lovers, they were the complementary halves of a single warrior. Mm. And I was like, God, that is so good. And God, that is all over this duel. It is. Watching them both. Gosh, it's just such a good fight. Because Dooku's so good, too. Because Dooku is so good, too. Because with his one hand, he'll do like the, he'll do a, a sideways you know, triple axle as he moves between lightsaber blades. Oh my God, it was so blades. great. I, he was like, I, Tanya. And then he'll fling his lightsaber around to block at one moment. And you wouldn't think it would look so graceful. You wouldn't, you would think it would look more choreographed or something. This genuinely looked like Obi-Wan and Anakin were in it to win it from the get-go. And Dooku genuinely looks like he's not breaking a sweat. Not he even is a this graceful serpentine snake just Mm -hmm. like toying with them yeah but i love it because dooku's the whole package Mm -hmm. whereas the complementary halves of the single warrior obi-wan's the defense anakin is the offense yeah obi-wan pushes anakin fights you know Mm -hmm. um 
You know what it reminded me of? And this is so dumb. It reminded me of this thing that is happening on the internet recently where people hold up their cats to like the horrifying caterpillar on their wall, the creepy crawly, and the cat sizes it up and then just shoots their paw out and obliterates the bug. (laughs) And I was like, that's what Obi-Wan did. He was like, let me throw my murder cat at you. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't stop thinking about it. It was the best. I love them so much. I wonder if that was the right move, though. I mean, so here's why it was, because if Anakin had thrown (laughs) Obi-Wan, Anakin would have been angrily pacing down there. I don't think Anakin would have. I think Anakin would have argued, you know? Yeah, he never would have decided to do it in the first place. Yeah. Although also we've proven relatively recently in the um, that episode on Naboo with the weird witch doctor that Dooku just beats, Shadow Warrior. Yeah, beats the tar out of Anakin. Yeah. Because in that episode, Anakin got an armload of cutlery. <laughs> I was embarrassed for him. It was not a shining moment. No, no. So maybe neither Kenobi nor Anakin are a good match for Dooku. Yeah, it's it's funny. Dooku's kind of their nemesis. Yeah. This whole time he has been, because Grievous is like, I'll get you, Kenobi. And Kenobi's like, I've beat you literally every time we hang yeah, out. Yeah, whatever. And uh, this Ken- is just fun for me yeah. now. And Anakin defeats everyone. You know, people have to run away from Anakin. And even Dooku, like, ran away. So if you can prevent someone from running away, Anakin will kill them. <laughs> You just have to run faster than Anakin and you get to live. Oh, my God. I can neither run faster than Anakin nor face him down in a lightsaber battle. So so I will just simply pass away to save us all the time. (laughs) But, yeah, they've fought so many times. Dooku, Anakin, and Obi-Wan. And it's like in Revenge of the Sith. That's like the first scene, right? Is that fight. So it's coming up real soon. He's their big bad. He's their big bad. He's he's uh, their arc. You know, when when they started fighting him, that's when Anakin lost his hand. That's when they learned that they needed to be a team. Mm-hmm. And then by the time of Revenge of the Sith, that's like the whole Clone Wars is in this sword battle that has fought over the course of years. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about the Pikes. Yeah, they're cool. They are the best. They are so cool. Well, so this is the first time we have spent really any significant time with the Pikes. We saw them very, very briefly when Maul was uniting all of the crime families in the Maul arc. Mm -hmm. And that is it. I don't think they got really any speaking lines before this. Um, They were there when they were poisoning the Mandalorian children. Those were pikes also. Oh. Yeah. But that's it. We haven't seen much of them. That was the pikes? Yeah. Interesting. No, it wasn't. That was a different species. It was the other cobra Egyptian looking people. <laughs> How could I get them confused? How could I mix them up? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. So the only time we've seen them before has been in the mall arc. But I loved what we saw of them mm-hmm. in this episode. So... We open up on this very gorgeous planet, Obadiah, which Mm -hmm. I did a lot of research. I cannot figure out why the planet Obadiah was named Obadiah. 
Figured it was a homage to somebody, but I couldn't find anything. Yeah, normally those things are named after people, like uh, Newt Gunray being named after, you know, 90s Republicans. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but no, Obadiah. It's it's funny because it is like a first name, but it's also a perfectly legit name for a planet. Yeah, it's a great name. I really like it. And then we get into the Pike Palace, and it's just got this very... Alice in Wonderland, the caterpillar smoking the hookah kind mm-hmm. of vibes right off the bat. There's beautiful Twi'leks lounging on the laps of all of these pike uh, middle managers that I guess just hang out in the throne room all day. And then Lom offers the Jedi obviously poisoned drinks. You know? Well, yeah, but first of all, what he does is he exhales this big old cloud of spice at them. Ah. And his eyes are all glassy. Yeah. Also, I don't know because we see Pikes later. I don't know if what if they're wearing a mask or not. It's kind of strange. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Their faces do look very small compared to the rest of them. Yeah. And they've got this very elaborate, you know, Egyptian cobra headdress looking thing. Just like having big hats. Could be what they look like. Could be that they love big hats. Big hats is a is a style, but you gotta stick with it. Big hats is a Clone Wars vibe. <laughs> I'm pour, looking at you, Cat Bane. Pour one out for Embo. Yeah, there's <laughs> lots. No, we don't have to pour one out for Embo. He's still around. Oh, okay. I hope. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Making me nervous. Anyway, sexy, murky, Jabba's Palace vibes. Mm-hmm. Great. Exhaling clouds of spice at your enemies. Great. Offering them poisoned martinis. Great. And so we're hitting notes that we've hit before. Recall the... Dooku captured by Hondo are Totally, I flashed all the way back to the first time we met Hondo Onaka, and he was this very ambiguous, morally dubious kind of mm-hmm. scum and villainy character. And that's also one of the early moments of Obi-Wan and Anakin versus Dooku. Oh my god, and they were offered poison drinks. And Dooku escaped by resorting to more violence. Oh, yeah. Because he, he just choked out those guards and like made one shoot the other one. And, and just got in the car. Yeah. gracefully stalked out of the compound. It was all fun and games until Dooku like <laughs> chokes you out and makes you shoot your friend. So That is the Dooku move. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what he did in this arc, too. So by hitting those same notes, especially in this watch through, uh, you know, if you're a fan of the Clone Wars, you can just hear it off the grace notes. Then they go to a crime lord and, of course, they're offered poison drinks. Of course, they pour them out. Of course, they threaten the crime lord. Of course, they have enough evidence to prove the crime lord. Of course, he's wearing the the perfect insignia. Of course, Dooku comes in and force chokes everybody. Because we've seen the force choking the prisoner Mm -hmm. in um, Ahsoka's Mm -hmm. arc. So Mm -hmm. we've seen all of this before, but we're seeing it in a new tight storyline yeah it's flavored differently it's still exciting it's Mm -hmm. in a new setting and it does come off as grace notes instead of being repetitive yeah that is the mastery of this late stage clone war storytelling is what it feels like and what's so funny for me because we've got one season six arc left yep it's the yoda's journey arc right so you know season six 
was originally supposed to be a bunch of different episodes and it was released out of order and in different places. And meanwhile, Rebels has already started by this time and that's a much lighter show. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, you know, kid-friendly and this is not Mm kid-friendly. And you just cannot help, but in season six, particularly so far, see the beauty. There is a scene at the beginning where on Coruscant and... The Jedi Council's meeting, it's dusk. Yes, and we get that close-up on Yoda, and there's those spaceships glittering behind his head. And it's perfect. They're moving at, like, the very cool trajectories. It's as if it was a movie, and someone was putting all that effort in to be like, yeah, there's tons of traffic in the sky. It's Coruscant. That is what Coruscant is all about. That's so interesting that we both picked up on that, because I just thought it was a really beautiful, small, atmospheric... Mm-hmm. addition just to say this universe is lived in yes and on uh obadiah there's also ships flying every which way and yeah. that's noticeable as well each of these little cuts really rewards the viewer at the end yeah also if you are a steven spielberg fan that opening sandstorm mm-hmm. on the obadiah moon where yeah. they track down sifo ship is a callback to close encounters of the third kind it also, it reminds me of the opening scene of Wrath of Khan. Ooh. It also reminds me of The Martian. Yeah. It's such a cool scene. Plo Koon has like extra rebreathers on his- Does he really? Bit. Yeah, he's got like big extra cartridges because he's on this sand planet and they're, gosh, it's such a a fun horror movie trope to be in like in a sandstorm and coming across a wreckage of something. Yeah, and then you go this haunted, yeah. sandblasted- dead ship Mm -hmm. um shout out to Plo Koon because he joined the noble tradition of wearing a Jedi poncho over your regular clothes whenever you go to do an investigation Mm -hmm. did you did you catch his cool Jedi poncho I did particularly because it was a little ragged around the edges as if it had taken some blaster bolts as if he had borrowed it from his good friend Qui-Gon Jinn oh this is my headcanon I'm sticking to it (laughs) Anyway, this is all to say that I heart the Pikes. (laughs) I think they're the coolest. Just the fact that they are kind of wild for finding this random guy in the wreckage of this Jedi ship that they shot down and being like, hmm, could be important. Why don't we lock him up in the dark for 10 years in case we need an insurance policy? I mean, if you've got a whole planet that you're running as a crime lord syndicate, you may as well. That is just outrageous project management skills. Like, that is very impressive to me. It's not like they had to feed him anything. They were just feeding him worms. Oh, my God. This guy. Yeah. No wonder he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He was completely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It was bad. Yeah. I also really like... Minister Lom's weird Abercrombie employee voice from like the mall in the 2000s. That's just what he sounds like. I'm just kind of sad about his death. I really dug his weird vibe. Well, we know the Pikes are still around in the future, so. Yes. Well, you know. I don't know. This could be the last time I ever see them. Yeah. From now on, it's all tridents. (laughs) Is it about that time? Sure is. It's time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Whomst is your bay? 
Whomst is my bay. Okay, I have a sensible, respectable choice. Remember, we are approaching the end of the Clone Wars, so get weird with it. Yeah, I have a crack choice. Okay. Okay, sensible, respectable choice. Obi-Wan Kenobi himself. Fair. Because teamwork makes the dream work, because he is very effective, he's very good at his job. He also, in the Jedi Council room, when they are saying, ah, yes, Sifo-Dyas, we took his idea, even though we kicked him out because we thought it was a bad idea, it turns out it was a good idea. And Kenobi was like, yeah, this wouldn't be the first time we've been wrong about something in recent days. Yeah. And I'm like, you are correct, sir. Mm-hmm. So... My head says Obi-Wan, but my heart says Minister Lom. That's wild. I dig his weird vibe. Yeah. Do I agree with what he did with Silman? No. Do I think he was the most delightful, morally ambiguous, scum and villainy type we've seen since the early days of Hondo Onaka? Absolutely, I do. And I really applaud his future planning. And I really applaud that he just came clean. Some Jedi came knocking at the door. The poisoned martini didn't work. And he was like, okay, fine. I'll tell you everything that I've been scheming for the last 10 years. And I kept Silman for this exact eventuality. And then it happened. I was right the whole time. Yeah, because he says specifically, I'll give you Silman if you forget my treachery earlier. This is how insurance works. Mm -hmm. This was leverage. He applied it correctly. I just think that's great. I'm sad he got the front-facing Grievous special. Yeah. That's that's a fun fun choice. Yeah, I'm picking Minister Lam. I feel good about this. All right, all right. (laughs) Who is your bae? I'm going to go with the Grandmaster, Yoda. Oh, yeah. interesting choice. Yeah. I, okay. I was critical of Yoda in that once you've, once you're relying on your opponent's mistakes, you've already lost. He's lost the sense of timing. However, this is Yoda in rare form, like doing, he's like, I'm going to solve a mystery today. And he like gets together the council. He's like, we've solved this mystery. Like, here's what we're doing. He doesn't give away any more information than he needs He's twigging on to what's going on. I feel like he's doing a pretty good job, as could be expected. Interesting. Yoda was going to be my last choice. Yeah. You know, I figure, I think that Yoda sitting there and realizing, whether rightly or wrongly, through the force, he says, I don't know if this is the right choice, but this is the only choice. That takes humility. Mm-hmm. And perhaps Yoda's from a different age of Jedi where humility was an extremely important thing because now they're in this rarefied tower over Coruscant. But being a person, he, he was just a, a little creature of character. And I appreciate that this yeah. episode. Humility is a fast track to bad PR. So this does track with what we are seeing <laughs> with the current climbs of the Jedi Council. Yeah. But he did he did the right things. I don't know if it's my favorite Bay choice ever, but it's tough to pick ones in episodes like this where there's like no one's walking away with clean hands in this or really being a shining star in my book. So Except for Minister Lam. Yeah. May he have, rest in peace. You can have him. <laughs> and you know, in defense of Minister Lam, bugs are a perfectly legit dinner for snake people. So maybe he thought he was treating someone right. Plenty of protein, lots of fiber. Don't yeah. know what you're complaining about. 
<laughs> eat some roly polies for dinner. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of, what's for dinner? <laughs> roly polies. <laughs> All right, next week, we are finishing season six of The Clone Wars. It's going so darn fast. So freaking fast. We are covering, and I kid you not, it is episode 66, and it is the last arc of season six. Mm -hmm. It is sixes all the way down. We're covering Yoda's Journey, episodes 11, 12, and 13, and then we will start season seven of The Clone Wars. Yeah. And then we'll be done. And then we have the rest of Star Wars. And then we have the rest of Star Wars. Wow. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, you know, this is that moment where you see the end. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly exciting. This mm-hmm. has been such a cool project. I'm really excited for what I see as the next chapter. Despite the fact that season seven is by far the heaviest hitting and the most crazy and the most beautiful. So... It's going to be a lot of fun. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. Hooray. As always, if you want more Skywalker, you can become one of our patrons. Just search for Growing Up Skywalker Patron. It's also listed on our website. Memberships start at $3 a month, and we release bonus content every Thursday. So it is a great way to hear more of us and to hear leftovers that we don't get to get to in the episode and dive a little deeper into Star Wars with us. Mm Mm-hmm. You can find us on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Growing Up Skywalker, check us out. And send this episode to someone who eats bugs. Your local cricket chomper. Enthusiast. (laughs) We're we're hitting all the corners. Send it to someone who mysteriously disappeared after summoning an army. Yeah, that friend. (laughs) That friend. You've all got one. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.